The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you. Because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Prospect Podcast. I'm Clay Link here with RotoWire.com's lead prospect writer James Anderson. James, we got a lot to get into, but first, look. Last week on the SiriusXM Fantasy Show, we welcomed on Nick Pollock of Pitcher List. At Pitcher List, of course, you know him. Uh, him and his team working on the PitchCon coming up starting tomorrow. A four day, forty hour online event. All kinds of fantasy baseball talk and panels, and you and I are both a part of it. Um, I'm honored to be a part of it. I'm really looking forward to you know being able to say I was a part of something so you know so cool and for a good cause. But I got to tell you, my panel is called "Baseball is Fun," James, and that's about the last word I'd use right now to um, <laughs> describe my thoughts on uh, Major League Baseball, at least. Um, so I'm trying to find you know. I'm trying to, I don't want to be disingenuous tomorrow, but I also, you know, fun is far from my mind right now. Yeah, I hear you. Um, happy to not be on that specific panel. 
Uh, I'll be doing one on Sunday with a bunch of good dynasty people uh, just talking about dynasty leagues. Uh, I think Shelly Verstraight and Eric Cross and Adam Waller. Going to be a really good panel. Really looking forward to that one on Sunday morning. Yeah, and I'm just... I just have a bad taste in my mouth right now. So I, you know, baseball is fun. I love baseball, but trying to drum up any kind of fun energy when discussing Major League Baseball anyway. The KBO, different story. But um, yeah, I, I'm starting to get this honest sense that the the owners don't even want a season. I, I think they've decided that they'd lose more money. Actually, uh, I don't know how the TV contracts work exactly, but I'd imagine they'd be losing more money in a half season, you know, then they think would be worth it. Then, you know, if there is a season, then if there weren't one. So I'm starting to think they just, uh, they don't want one and they're trying to pin it on the, the players. I also just don't think that they want to make concessions. Like they, yeah, they just don't want to lose the argument and they don't want to lose the negotiation and they'd rather not lose it than just, concede to the players because of the precedent that would set going forward. Yeah, no fans in the stands, no revenue. I just feel like they, they've ultimately collectively decided, you know, for in the short term financially, hell, we're better off if there is no season. So let's just play some games. It's horrible for the game long term. I hope they, they get something worked out, but I'm pessimistic right now. But anyway, James, uh, I'll put that aside and we'll talk about your Dynasty rankings for contenders, which just went up to the site. I know you've been working on this, and we've talked about it. Uh, the separate lists of dynasty rankings for contenders, and then for rebuilding teams. So these uh, dynasty ranks up on the site. You can check them out. Farm futures, um, really a lot of good stuff. No real big surprises up top, but we, you definitely had some some questions, and uh, we'll, we'll talk a lot about it. But you want to start with the listener questions? Sure. Yeah. All right. Cool. Our buddy Dan Carrado, of course, friend of the program. Uh, he would love to hear your thoughts, James, on Tyler Glass now. Trying to win this year, he owns Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. Uh, personally, he says he wouldn't trade. Or is this your note here? You wouldn't trade either for Glass now? No, it's his. Okay. Um, I, did, I didn't inject anything into those questions. Okay. In that so what do you think, um, man? What do, I know we talked last week about maybe – uh, older value, older starting pitchers maybe being undervalued a little bit in dynasty. Would you would you make this move for Glass now? So I think so. I have Glass now ahead of uh, Scherzer and Verlander, which is why Dan had that question. Um, I think to me, it's the, the the disconnect is probably just how concerned I specifically am about those two pitchers, Verlander and Scherzer, and what the next two to three years look like for them. Like uh, I have Clayton Kershaw ranked ahead of glass now. So it's not a, it's not a thing where it's just these pitchers are old and therefore they're behind glass now. Like I have Kershaw ahead of glass now. Uh, I have you Darvish ahead of Scherzer and Verlander. So I'm not anti old pitchers. I just look at Scherzer and the way that his 2019 finished, the way that his spring training went uh, from a health standpoint. I just I don't really trust him that much. Uh, have not ended up with any shares of Scherzer or Verlander in redraft leagues this year. Verlander, I mean, I think it's you know it's kind of self-explanatory. 37 years old. I guess there's not a 
a obvious reason to expect him to fall off this year, but I also would rather unload him in a trade in a dynasty league while his value is at this point, then just keep him and keep him. And then all of a sudden when it goes, then you're left kind of getting much less than you would have if you'd sold him now. So I think it's, it's more specifically about Scherzer and Verlander. Like I, I, there are old pitchers I would take over glass. Now, as I said, I, I love glass. Now I think that he's only just a little bit behind Scherzer and Verlander to me for 2020 in a theoretical, like 82 game season. And then if you just said 2020 plus 2021, I might even just lean glass now um, over those next two years. So, um, I, I mean, I think he could be one of those guys who establishes himself as like a top eight pitcher, uh, maybe like a guy that you have to take in the late first, uh, early to mid second round um, for the next like five or six years. Um, so I, I love glass now, but I think it's more about just me being a little bit lower on Scherzer and Verlander and Dynasty League. Very interesting. And Dan followed up with a couple other questions. First, how did the new DH rules, at least the proposed universal DH rules, impact the ranking process here, if at all? Um, so, I, you know, I didn't rank guys like Ryan Braun and uh, and Dominic Smith, who I think benefit. Um, I would have ranked those guys if it gone out to 400 players. Uh, I might, you know, I'm not sure where I would have had Will Myers, but he did slot in on the like 250, 260 range. Uh, like guys like Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins, JD Davis, you can feel like a little bit more confident in their playing time going forward, but um, really didn't impact it a ton. Nice. And then finally, from Dan, uh, some players that you think. Dynasty contenders can likely buy and return a decent profit with. In other words, who are some guys you have higher than most uh, on the list for contenders? So I went through, um, made a kind of a quick list, uh, and this is kind of in descending order. Uh, Bo Bichette, Ozzy Albies, Joey Gallo, uh, Ramon Laureano, Tim Anderson, Clayton Kershaw, Tyler Glasnow, Zach Gallen, Samuel Reyes, Ryan McMahon, Dansby Swanson, uh, Josh Donaldson, Sandy Alcantara. I didn't go. I didn't go further than that, but uh, I think I'm probably higher on most of those guys, uh, just based on results I've seen of like dynasty drafts getting tweeted out and stuff. Um, I think you could probably find a a solid trade as long as the person that owns those guys isn't as high on them as I am. But um, one guy that also that stuck out to me is is Kettle Marte, and I didn't really think of myself as being super high on him. But uh, like someone asked Eric Cross and I on Twitter, would you trade Casey Mize and Kyle Tucker for Kettle Marte? And Eric said no, and I said yes, and I didn't even really think about it that hard. I, to me, it was like an easy yes. Um, I just think you you can't, uh, and this actually kind of goes back to one of the things that I, I mentioned in my ranking philosophies, where I just I think non-elite prospects are often really overvalued in dynasty leagues, especially if you're a contending team. Uh, I basically said I, I would classify like the top 18 prospects on my top 400 as as elite prospects, uh, but the guys after that, even though I love them you have to acknowledge that the, the bust rate is still, it's it's not insignificant with those guys. I think Casey Mize and Kyle Tucker fall into that 
that range of guys where, you know, for Tucker, I think there are some questions emerging about, you know, just how good he's going to be uh, based on the way his team has handled him and um, the way he sort of regressed, I think, last year at AAA. And I'm with Casey Mize, he's a pitching prospect. I mean, I don't really care which pitching prospect we're talking about. None of them are sure things. And Kettle Marte is not a guy that I expect to ever be a, a top two-round two pick. But he's 26 years old. He's really, really good at pretty much everything involved with playing baseball. Uh, he's going to hit for a high average. He's going to get on base. I think the power is, is going to regress. But I even think you know you could regress him. to He could be like an 18-homer guy, a 20-homer guy. And I still think he would be a top 50-ish, top 60-ish a fantasy guy just because of everything else he's bringing to the table where he's hitting in the lineup. So Kendall Marte is another guy that stands up that I didn't really think I was high on, but uh, apparently I am. Doug Blazinski mentioned Kendall Marte in his question here. Doug was kind of asking a, a general question first about, you know, one year breakouts like Kendall Marte versus established guys coming off down years like Manny Machado and only a two spot difference for those two guys on your List for contenders. You have Marte a little bit higher, but uh, any general thoughts on what on what Doug here is asking? Yeah, I, I think that I'm in agreement with him. Like, I, I assume Doug thinks like last year was Kettle Marte's career year. I agree that it was probably his career year, but I think Doug might be overrating just how good of a floor Machado has established. Sure. Like. We always think of Machado but back to like his prospect days as just this, this superstar, and obviously the Padres paid him like that. But if we just look back at, at what he's done over the last like three or four years, um, you know, I think people would be surprised. A lot, some people might be surprised to just sort of see what batting averages he's typically good for. Um, like he's not a guy that you can expect to hit 300. He's not even a guy that I think you can expect to hit. 280 every year and the power is legit uh he's gonna play every day um but i i just think that he's i mean his production really isn't that different from what you're getting from someone like mike moustakis um so i i mean i like machado um but i think Marte, i still think he's gonna be a better player over the next two or three years even if we accept that last year was a was a big outlier specifically in the power department yeah, I'm with you there. I don't know about Machado's running ever coming back, and uh, yeah, the park there has suppressed some of that production. So I'm with you on that. I, you know, I didn't think I'd be, but when I think about it for dynasty, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I know I have Machado higher in redraft, but it's yeah, maybe I should revisit that. Um, yeah, because I've been a little skeptical on Marte, but he, yeah, even with that regression monster inevitably biting. Still a ton to like. Doug also wanted to know um, just your reasoning for having Scherzer where he is versus DeGrom and then Gallon too in that mix. Like um, Gallon not higher just because uh, there is some of that uh, unknown and just the general, uh, you know, volatility of pitching prospects. Yeah, so I'm I'm really high on Gallon. Like with with Glass now and Gallon. Uh, they would both easily be my number one pitching prospect if either of them were 
eligible to be ranked as pitching prospects. I'm sure there are people that would take like Mackenzie Gore over one or both of them, but I, I would not. And that would be an easy call for me. So I might like Gallon more than he'd. I think he was wondering like, you know, cause I said in my ranking philosophies, age is often overrated with pitchers uh, with Gallon and Scherzer, that specific comparison. I, like I said earlier, like I'm just lower on Scherzer going forward and I'm, probably higher on gallon going forward than most people uh like i have gallon as like a top 20 pitcher for 2020 um and then you factor in his age i think he's he's someone i would try to trade for now before it just kind of becomes established that he's a a top 20 starter going forward uh and then the the scherzer de grom part like i have no reason at all to uh question whether DeGrom will be a top three or five pitcher over the next three or four years. Like he could get hurt and not be that, but I don't really see any warning signs with him. I mean, he's in a, he's in a different tier to me than Scherzer when it comes to safety and it comes to just thinking about durability going forward. I just trust DeGrom a lot more. Um, so like, I think he could win a couple more Cy Youngs, uh, whereas I think Scherzer is, is, Post prime uh, and you know post durability prime as well. Uh, so I think there's Doug and I probably see that a little differently with regards to Scherzer versus Degrom. Yeah, I, I get that he's kind of thinking you know, gallons way too high at seventy three or, or higher than he probably should be. But I I'm a little surprised he's not higher because I know how much you love him and. Um, yeah, I know you kind of had Gallon around this range just for redraft, right? Like you, yeah, you were all in. So I get that. Uh, circling back to Dan, uh, he mentioned Jorge Polanco as a guy he likes, but you know when you're really stacked in just a twelve team league, um, actually, yeah, this is again twelve teams, but fifty three man rosters. So uh, even if he's just a depth piece, Jorge Polanco has a ton of value. Uh, he wants to know if he's not going to crack the starting lineup, though, do you flip Jorge Polanco for a minor league talent? Yeah, so, I mean, knowing your format, knowing your rules, like you always say, Clay, it's very important. <laughs> and I uh, I mentioned this like in, in the sort of parameters for these rankings. I'm doing these with a 20-team league in mind, yeah, uh, like an RDI-style league. And so in a league like that, it, it changes a lot of the valuations on guys. Like you can, it makes guys like Will Myers or Joey Gallo more valuable. It makes guys like Jorge Polanco, like got just Nick Ahmed types, guys that you know are going to play every day and aren't going to kill you anywhere. Like those guys have, have a lot of value in a 20-team league. But in a 12-team league, I, I get what Dan's saying, like, you're never really going to be satisfied with Polanco as you're starting shortstop in a 12-team league, and he's a nice depth piece. You know that that's nice. I mean, you can you can withstand an injury to, to any of your middle infielders with with a guy like Polanco on your bench. But if you can get a, you know, I'm trying to think of like a the type of prospect that I would trade him for in that shallow format. Like, I mean, I would trade him for like Alex Kirilov if I could. Uh, I would trade him for Adley Rutschman if I could. I would, um, you know, I would even think about just rolling the dice on a guy like Bobby Witt Jr. or or maybe even Corbin Carroll 
Jazz Chisholm, like one of those guys, just really just chase that upside because if one of those guys hits, then you're definitely going to start him in a 12 team league. Whereas Jorge Blanco's already hit and Dan's not starting him. So I think you could justify rolling the dice a little bit if you wanted to there. I see. I'm looking at your rankings here. You have Polanco 116 on your dynasty rankings for contenders. And then you have Kirilov 104, uh, Christian Robinson 103, CJ Abrams 100. Jason Dominguez, 99. That's probably a bit of a stretch to think you'd get him for Polanco, but maybe. And, yeah, that's kind of the, the range you should be targeting if you want to trade him. Um, I've never been a huge Polanco guy, but then I heard, you know, obviously I see the numbers and know he's pretty darn good. But uh, I just on this podcast, this very same podcast earlier this week, Jeff Erickson and uh, Scott Jen said, welcome on, welcomed on. Uh, Rob Silver, and he was saying he loves Polanco. Now, he said the same thing about shortstop being so deep that maybe you don't have to, but he loves Polanco, and so when a guy like Rob says that, um, you know, I have to revisit a little bit. Well, I think it's it's he's not an, a super exciting guy, and mm. so it's like it's easy to just not really even pay him much mind at all, but uh you know, a guy that's going to play every day and hit in that Twins lineup every day yeah. and is just – you look at what, what he's going to do in the five standard roto categories. He's going to be a slight uh, – well, not even a slight, but he's going to be a positive in batting average. He's going to be a positive in runs. He's going to be uh, pretty darn good in RBI for a shortstop, and he's going to chip in some steals, so he's not at zero there. He's probably not going to get you double digits and – He'll get you 15 plus overs. So, I mean, I, I totally get it. Like, he, he doesn't take anything off the table and he helps you in three categories. Yeah, you know, he's not a big barrel rate, darling Jorge Polanco. Uh, 4.7 barrels per PA. Exit velocity was pretty middling at, you know, 88 miles per hour average. But that's okay. Now, you don't have to light up the StatCast uh, radars. Not everybody has to be a StatCast superstar, and everything else checks out. Statistically. And line drive rates over 26% in back-to-back years. And hard hit rates, pretty good, even with the barrel rate lagging a little bit. So, yeah, you like you said, he's just not that exciting. So I don't really ever – and the shortstop's so crowded, he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to note that Rob said he, he loved Polanco. So go, go listen to that if you uh, want some more thoughts on Jorge Polanco. James, let's talk about Shohei Otani a little bit. You have him 66, and I get that. Um, I believe this is around where Ian had him. I don't want to speak for Ian, but um, just general thoughts on on uh, Shohei Otani. Are you souring on him in a like just normal weekly league um, where you can have to decide every week how you're using him? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely get what Dan is getting at with that question. Um, Obviously, I, I, someone asked in the comments where he'd be in a daily moves league. I said he'd be up in the 30s, so he'd be about 30 spots higher, 25 to 30 spots higher if this was for a daily moves league. Um, very frustrating player to rank because, as Dan gets at in the question, just the rules of standard Roto weekly leagues just do not allow you to get close to real life value out of Shohei Otani in fantasy. So very frustrating to own a player like that, where you just sort of always feel like you're not quite getting what you deserve out of him. 
Um, I would just, I'd be willing to listen on offers. I think that <clears throat> there is a, there is a chance that, you know, even if he's just like a 160 inning guy in like 2021, 2022, I still think he could be good enough in those 160 innings to be a, a top 20, top 15 ish starter for fantasy, especially as we see pitcher usage just continue to evolve and, those 200 guys, 200 inning guys become rare and rare. I think Otani will be a monster um, when he when he pitches. So if you're going to trade him, you got to get something something really solid. Uh, I would not be opposed to trading him, but um, yeah, I mean you're just it's going to be tough to ever feel like you're getting all of his value in a in a weekly route only. Yeah, I apologize. I didn't really mention Dan's full question. It was, you know, maybe wait for the stock to rise again, Otani. Uh, maybe look for a trade partner. But yeah, I just I wanted to touch on him generally because, you know, you have him below a guy like Dylan Carlson. So, you know, even for a contender, yeah. you'd flip him for Carlson, even Ahmed Rosario. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I mean, you know what you're getting yeah. with, uh, with Rosario. Um, the only the only thing with him is like he's not as good of a defender as he was supposed to be, but I still don't think the Mets are going to pull the plug on him there. And I think that he you know he keeps getting better at the plate every year, so it's going to help you in stolen bases. Um, you know, Otani has a higher upside than than Rosario, but I, I kind of like just that that stability of knowing exactly what you're getting with him. Right, so I'll just run through the top twenty five or so. Uh, players on this list of dynasty rankings for contending teams ronald acuna jr no surprise there uh, mike trout christian yelich juan soto for cody bellinger mookie betts francisco lindor alex bregman fernando tatis jr trevor story trey turner bryce harper Bo bichette up at 13 ozzy albies 14 vlad jr 15 rafael devers nolan arenado eloy jimenez wander franco Garrett Cole, Jose Ramirez, Freddie Freeman, Austin Meadows, Pete Alonso, Glaber Torres, and then Keston here right behind him. Check out the full list for yourself. Full 300 dynasty ranking for contending teams, James. Really good stuff. You want to talk a little bit about your latest, uh, your other article from this week? Yeah. Uh, released the, I think this is the 10th installment in the a series where I'm going through and, and updating the top 400 prospect rankings and then uh, highlighting some players that gave, give me some trouble in terms of whether I should have them higher or have them lower. Um, the way things are going to work going forward with this series is I will be able to do uh, 251 through uh, 275 next week. Then I'll be able to do 276 through 300. Uh, that'll go live the day of the draft. And then as the draft unfolds on June 10th and June 11th, I will fully update the top 400 to incorporate all those players. And then so that following week, I'll just kind of wrap this whole series up with the remaining players that, that stayed on the top 400. Um, but this week, uh, the top guy, the guy that's ranked 226, Rafael Morel, he's really exciting shortstop in the Cubs system. He's got legit five-tool potential, uh, plus runner, plus arm. Might move to center field potentially, but 
Um, you know, he showed really good contact skills, strikeout rate under 15%, almost walked 10% of the time. A lot of extra base hits in the DSL, put that plus speed to work. So there's there's just a lot to like with, with Raphael Morel in the Cubs system. Very nice. Yeah, you, you'll see him atop this list, and there's no, you know, up icons, and you may not see much of a jump and may not click through, but uh, he's worth definitely researching 18-year-old Raphael Morel. James, down on the list a little ways is uh, Michael, Michael Escato. Um, similar boat where he doesn't have you know the stock up icon next to him, and the the numerical movement hasn't been that great. But uh, what do you think about him, and maybe how he relates to a guy like Alexander Vargas? Yeah, so this is the the Yankees um, are always just kind of um, making things interesting with the way that they, I mean, they, they signed so many interesting international players. And then they always pick a couple to come stateside for their uh, first pro seasons while they leave some in the DSL. And so I just think it's it's really interesting to compare Escoto, uh, who spent the entire year in the DSL, had a 167 WRC+, plus, hit for a ton of power, plus speed, stole, stole a bunch of bases, um, struck out a little bit too much. But, I mean, he was just a big-time producer in the DSL. And then Alexander Vargas, who received a significantly bigger bonus on July two, uh, they sent him or they sent him to the DSL for like eight games, and he was he was good. I mean, he he was much better at making contact than Escoto, but he didn't hit any homers in those games in the DSL. Then he comes stateside, and he basically doesn't impact the ball at all. You know, I mean, he he took some walks, so. Just he wasn't a complete disaster, and he and he made contact, but um, slugged just three thirty five and, and forty GCL games. So how do you kind of make sense of that, right? Like, w- which guy should rank higher, the guy that dominated the DSL, or the guy that the Yankees thought was in need of a challenge in the form of the GCL, and then goes there and, and kind of flops. Um, so I, I had Escoto in, in the might be too high section here because I do have him over Vargas. I just I think that knowing that he has no trouble getting to his power in games, um, you don't really have to project anything on the body with him. You, you kind of hope that he actually is able to really work on his conditioning to make sure that he can – uh, maintain that explosiveness in the lower body but with Vargas I'm just kind of concerned I mean he, he's maybe like a buck 50 when he's wet and so you need him to really add muscle in the coming years I, I see some shades of Lucius Fox with him which is you know that would be kind of the, the worst case scenario uh, but he also does have because he has this top of the scale speed and he's got good contact skills if it were all to come together from him from a physical standpoint and he was able to add like 30 pounds of muscle and, and really start to, to drive the ball, I mean, he could he could soar up the ranks. So really tough juxtaposition of those two Yankees, middle infield prospects. Uh, be ranking Vargas in next week's piece. Escoto uh, slotted into this range. But I just think that's a kind of a fascinating philosophical dilemma with those two. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Uh, now, Juan Garcia, Jose Pena, Seth Johnson, Robert Dominguez, all trending up. We've talked about this before. 
uh, actually several times on the show, but what do you say to those who are like, James, there are no games going on. How could these guys be trending up, trending down? It's more so about, you know, just obviously there's so many stones to overturn and it's about just kind of figuring out exactly what these skill sets are, right? Yeah, well, they're they're all trending up since October 1st. Um, So not in the past few weeks, yeah. Yeah, with Dominguez, uh, Dominguez is a six-five righty uh, from Venezuela that was touching ninety-nine miles an hour just after his eighteenth birthday. Uh, chance for a plus curveball. Like if, if he was a draft prospect, if he was a high school senior, he would be a, a surefire first-round pick. Um, and like, I didn't know who Robert Dominguez was on October first, and a lot of people in baseball didn't know who he was, but he just really turned heads in the Dominican instructional league. So that's why he's a riser, uh, with Juan Garcia, um, Jose Pena, two guys who didn't quite get seven figures. Uh, Juan Garcia's a shortstop in the national system. Pena is a center fielder in the Rays system. Uh, they got six figures, not seven figures, but they have just really impressive physical tools. Um, Garcia is a 70 grade runner with a chance to develop 20 plus homer power. Um, Pena is kind of the inverse of that, uh, where he has a chance to be like a 30 plus Homer guy that steals 10 to 15 bases. Uh, they just, they've really kind of popped, um, since instructs, uh, the video on them is, is really encouraging, uh, to me. And, you know, you, you could argue like, why, why are you putting the cart before the horse here? Having these guys rank this high. I mean, the reality is, most of the guys in this range of the prospect rankings aren't going to amount to anything. So I'd rather just roll the dice on, on guys with big time upside guys that could climb inside the top 50 at some point down the road versus someone where I just kind of, you know, there's, there's not really that type of upside to dream on. Once these guys get out there and start playing in games, we'll get a sense of just how ready they are uh, at the plate. And if they hit, then they'll continue to climb. If they don't hit, then they'll, fall down the rankings but then you just turn that roster spot i mean it, it didn't cost you much to add them in the first place yeah the churn is so important and that's crazy that a guy like robert dominguez can go from off the radar of a lot of major league teams and execs uh to being a, a trending guy and yeah just getting these guys on the field and um there's so many players in baseball and just you know it takes a while to figure out you know, which players are really major league top caliber prospects, especially when they're so young and just unknown commodities, really. And, uh, and oh, go ahead. quickly, I just want to quickly, I uh, forgot to say, uh, you mentioned Seth Johnson. He He's just crazy uh, intriguing to me. Like he was a shortstop his first two years of college, then went to the or he transferred and then became a starting pitcher. And just that one year of him being a, a starting pitcher at a small school led the Rays to give him almost two mil in the draft. And he was really good after signing. He got a chance for two plus pitches, three average or better pitches, good command. Um, so I just mentioned him as like a, a high upside guy too, because if, if you can just go in one year from a guy who wasn't pitching to a guy that was a, basically a first round talent in the draft like what are you going to do over the next year of your development and the year after that like like i think back to like josiah gray who the reds drafted 
uh, was a reliever in college. And then just in his second year since moving to the rotation, he went from like a top 400 prospect to a top 100 prospect uh, just because there's so much more room for improvement with, with those types of guys. So I think Seth Johnson's another name to keep an eye on. Nice. And as we've been leading up to next month's draft, uh, we've been kind of going around looking at different demographics, if you will, uh, in that player pool. And we're on to college hitters now. Spencer Torkelson, of course, the pretty much the lock to go number one, right? And you expect him to slot into the top ten on your list. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a podcast uh, later today with Chris Welsh where we kind of talk about where we think all these draft guys slot in. Um, and so I was able to go through basically my top uh, like 40 or so draft guys and slot them into where I think they would be on the top 400. I also updated that amateur board if you want to check that out. Uh, but Spencer Torkelson, I think, is going to slot in at seventh overall in between Dylan Carlson and Royce Lewis. Uh, so ahead of Andrew Vaughn, ahead of everyone, basically, from last year's draft. Um, so pretty big ringing endorsement for Spencer Torkelson as a top seven prospect. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Um, one of the best college hitters in recent memory, as you note here. Definitely check out the amateur rankings for yourself, and they include a little description of the player. So you can get get familiarized, get familiar, James, um, ahead of the draft. Also, by the way, I just want to mention, shout out our friends at Prospects Live, because uh, I guess ESPN going to be doing their own broadcast of the the draft. That's pretty exciting, and using some of their videos. So that's really cool. Congrats to them. I'm excited to see that. Uh, Austin Martin, James, he's second on your amateur board. Do you expect him to be, what, tw- top 20-ish? Yeah, I think he's barely going to slide into the top 20. I think I'm going to have him, um, you know, I got that that run of pitchers starting at 15, got Forrest Whitley, Mackenzie Gore, uh, Jesus Cesardo at 18, Spencer Howard at 19, Matt Manning at 20. I think Martin's going to slot in in between Lazardo and Howard. So factoring in Torkelson slotting in, that would make Martin the 20th ranked prospect. Um so not quite in that very top tier of hitting prospects, but I'm going to have him ahead of the Bobby Wood Jr., Corbin Carroll guys from last year's draft. So no no shame in that for a guy that hasn't played a pro game yet. I mean, my, my sort of comp on him is uh, like Derek Jeter. Like I think that that's kind of the type of fantasy game you're going to get from him where it's just – it's not going to be – amazing year in and year out but i think he'll just be a top 10 player at whatever position he ends up i think he'll probably be a a top 10 guy there for a while and with nick gonzalez we talked about your love of second base prospects i mean (laughs) jokingly but yeah at 510 190 you also note here you know didn't face much elite pitching but you're really confident that he'll be fine the the hit tool will translate yeah i guess slightly less confident than i am with Torkelson and Martin, obviously, but still pretty pretty confident. Uh, based on largely based on what he did on in the Cape Cod League, um, where he was the MVP there with a wood bat. So that if it weren't for that performance, he would be much more kind of you know I w- I'd be a little wary about where to put him just based on the fact he's playing at altitude and wasn't facing great pitching. But uh, that Cape Cod uh, performance really helped him. I think he'll slot in 
right around where those Mariners guys, Noel B. Marte, Evan White, who are 27, 28, Jordan Groshans, 29, he'll slide in right around there. Now, among college hitters, Garrett Mitchell, Heston Kierstad, Patrick Bailey, among those you're a little lower on. Do you want to explain why? Yeah, so with Mitchell, who's a really toolsy outfielder, um, I just I worry about ranking college hitters that you know his, his he was like slugging below 500 um i think for most or all of his college career and there's there's spo- supposedly plus raw power in their batting practice but uh, a lot of the video that i saw of him he was really kind of just dumping the ball into the gaps and then putting his speed to work, which is, which is fine. Um, you know, he's really good at making contact, but I think I, I have some concerns. I think like there are a lot of teams that would draft him and immediately, uh, incorporate a swing change with him to try to get to more of that power in games. And that could definitely work. You know, if it's a, if it's a really good organization that incorporating stuff like that, it, it could work wonders and he could, um, really shoot up the ranks but you know going through a swing change is is tough and if he doesn't adjust his launch angle and his approach then i don't really see any reason to expect him to get to impact power and the, the speed will be great on the bases but just a, a little more wary of, of a guy that's going to have to go through those types of adjustments to really max out so he'll be a top 100 prospect but he won't be as high as i expect him to be elsewhere uh, Heston Kierstead, big time power, but I just I think the hit tool is below average. Uh, so I think ideally you're you're looking at a guy that could hit like 245 with 30 homers. Um, I think that that's certainly possible, but I'm not going to rank a guy like that super high. And then um, the last guy was Bailey, Patrick Bailey. I think he's by most according to most people, probably the top catcher in this draft, but he's kind of more of a classic modern day catcher who I just, like, I compare him to like a prospect like Miguel Amaya in the Cubs system where, you know, no doubt catcher, like he's definitely going to stick there defensively. He's probably going to get on base at a, at a pretty solid clip. He'll hit for some power, but not, not a guy that I expect to ever be a sought after fantasy catcher. Like, those guys are going to get drafted. They're going to get started in all formats, but they're not guys that you use a high pick on. Like you can ideally just pick those guys up in the later rounds. Um, you can pick them up off waivers in a lot of dynasty leagues. So unless I think you're going to be a, a really impactful fantasy catcher, I just am not going to rank you that high. Nice. And finally, you're a little higher on Austin Wells. Can you explain why that is? Yeah. So Wells, I think I'm going to slot, just inside the top 100, he'll probably be um, the last of nine guys from this draft class to crack the top 100. And he's a guy that is a catcher now, but he's not going to be a catcher in pro ball. Um, kind of a, a Kyle Schwarber type of situation where uh, I think he's it's going to be a pretty quick transition where they where he gets moved to probably like left field. Like Kyle um, Schwarber, quote unquote, versatility. <laughs> yeah um i see you have yeah. left field catcher first base DH. Yeah. yeah yeah so not the versatility really all, you want it's all about the bat with wells um i think it's plus hit and plus power 
and he showed really well in the cape with wood bats as well. So, you know, when you're, when you're evaluating these draft prospects every year, I tend to sort of gravitate more and more towards, um, guys on the college side that I believe are going to hit because it's just, it's much more easy to get that level of confidence in a college guy than a, than a high school hitter. And I, I think Wells is going to hit, he's a better fantasy prospect than a real life one. Uh, he'll hit enough that I think a team is going to be able to justify playing him at the bottom of the defensive spectrum. So not worried about the fact he won't stick a catcher and it's actually probably a good thing for fantasy that he won't stick a catcher. Very nice. Well, great stuff. Of course, check out the amateur board. Also James's dynasty rankings for contenders. A great, you know, supplement to our official dynasty ranks on the site managed by Ian Kahn. By the way, Ian's going to join us what tomorrow or on farm Friday. Can you explain what all we're doing with, on that show? Yeah, so Farm Friday. Uh, so I think we're going to do – I'm not sure which hour we'll do it. But um, for one of the hours, we're going to do – Ian Kahn and Eddie Almaguer from Prospects Live are going to join you and I. And the four of us are going to draft like we're doing a startup dynasty league Um and we're going to make we're each going to make five picks so it'll be the first 20 picks so basically the first round of a theoretical startup dynasty league uh haven't determined the draft order yet but like you won't be picking for multiple teams you'll just be picking the first player for each of these hypothetical teams in a dynasty league and so the four of us will each make five picks i think it'll be a lot of fun i mean Ian's obviously the best when it comes to Dynasty, and, and Eddie uh, is a really, really great player. He does really good work at, at Prospects Live. Um, he's always, like, I'm, as the guy, as the commish that's having to, like, process these um, ads every every Sunday night, he's always one of the guys that sends in the best ads, like, of unlisted prospects and stuff like that, and he's, he's a really good trader, and Really good drafter, so I think that'll be a lot of fun, uh, the four of us on Farm Friday. Yeah, looking forward to that on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio. Uh, Eddie is a great player. I think he's number one on the two-year TGFBI rankings, right? Um, I know oh, yeah. he was mad at me when I didn't shout him out one time when we were talking about that leaderboard. You and I are, I think, what, you're three and I'm four, two-year uh, ranking something like that, yeah, not bad, not bad. But Eddie has a speed, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, James, we're on to the hip hop draft. Last week, uh, I took Talib Kweli to fill my final lyricist spot. So, three out of three lyricist spot filled for me. You still have one open. You took, let me see here, Kendrick Lamar last week. Yes, slipping farther and, uh, than he would in most. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Again, I've, I've said I was going to revisit, and I will I will give Kendrick his fair shake in time when I'm ready. <laughs> well, the guy that I'm going to take, I think I'm up first this week. Um, the guy that I'm going to take this week, you, you are definitely familiar with. Um, I'm going to fill my last East Coast spot and take one half of Mob Deep and Prodigy. Ooh, nice. I like that. Mob Deep, of course, great. And, uh, yeah, I've been keeping that final East Coast spot open just because there's so many good options. But Prodigy, uh, I'm uh, near the top of the list for me, too. So that's uh, that's a good one. 
you know, at this point, it's, you know, get your guys. And there are a couple that I know you're not really on, so I'm not going to feel the need to take them. I'm looking at that 2010 spot and get a little nervous. Mentioned Doja Cat last week, but the words that have surfaced uh, on Twitter, she's kind of off my list now. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and fill this spot with a guy by the name of Currency. James, I know, you, I know you like, I know you know that I like Currency. And the song I'm going to pick is Like Five Deuce Fortray, and homage, I guess you could say, to the classic backbone song Five Deuce Fortray. But Currency with the dollar sign, I actually first learned about in the, the decade prior to the 2010s. Um, he was on. He was on C Murder's album. I forget what what song it was, but it was like, "What you gonna do when you get out of jail? Skirt off the scene in a yellow ML." I, I like currency, and the others I know you're not gonna take. So um, I wanted to wanted to get that spot and get somebody I feel good about actually in the 2010 spot because you know my my uh, cheat sheet is not very deep at that position. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy now. I think we're now finally in the range where I think we both know the other person's not going to take any of our guys. Um, yeah. But we're still going to play this thing out. Uh, my song, by the way, uh, will be... Um, I'm going to go with Up North Trip off of the infamous. Um, could go with pretty much any song off of there. Um, but think, yeah, I think... I think the infamous... Oh, I mean, that's... You could go with any song, as you said. That's good. I remember, didn't Andrew say that my Talib song, Get Back Part 2, was not on Spotify? Yeah, yeah. so you need to give him a new song. Come on, guys. That's just, I mean, that's embarrassing. Well, sometimes it's about the rights. Like, there's some just obvious guys missing uh, on Spotify, and I assume it's all just because of record label rights and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm surprised there was something off like that Jizz album that I mentioned, the uh, the Grandmasters, but not a uh, not of high technology, which was a great album. All right, so I need to get a new to live song. I'm probably going to just choose something off Black Star. <sighs> you know, let's go with Brown Skin Lady. Oh, that man. That's a hot song. That's Love a that. Great, song. great song. I should have just gone with that originally. Hopefully, that's on there. We'll see. Thanks for, by the way, to Andrew for cultivating that playlist. That's uh, good stuff. It's it's a classic playlist. It's turning out. It's turning into. <laughs> yeah, pat on the back. Uh, looking forward to that. Check us out, by the way, on PitchCon and again on RotoWire Farm Friday. Hope you'll join us then. Talk to you next week on the RotoWire Prospect Podcast. <laughs>
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.